morning, church family. I'm Pastor Dave, for those of you who are visiting. And uh, we are working our way through the book of Acts as a congregation, a sermon series that we call Life in the Kingdom of God. The church has been tasked with go, make disciples. Go, proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And so we've been following them and we've been growing with them. And uh, this morning we are at Acts chapter 13, picking up at verse 13. The gospel has gone from Jerusalem to Judea, and it's on its way to the ends of the earth. And uh, Paul and Barnabas and Mark with them have just been sent out. They were together in Antioch. You remember two weeks ago we heard that they were, the elders and the teachers uh, teachers and prophets were praying and fasting together, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. So they laid their hands on him, prayed for him, and they sent him out. And then they went to, they sailed to Pam- Pamphus. Pamphus? I think I'm getting that name right. But anyways, it starts with a P. And, yeah, and, uh, <clears throat> and there they, they brought the gospel on this island, and they were encountered by this sorcerer. And so um, last week, Pastor Gina brought us a message about the Holy Spirit giving gifts of discernment, the discernment of spirits, and the authority of Jesus that we as believers have to stand against that which is coming against the word or the message of God. And so she encouraged us, exhorted us to pray for both the, the gift of discernment and also to know the authority that we have in Christ. So here we, we pick up with, this is Paul's first missionary journey, and so we pick up with the team at verse 13. What page is that on, Vic? 17.13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. We're going to find out later that uh, that was a really big deal. Paul says that John deserted them, and um, he and Barnabas actually have such a sharp disagreement later on about whether they should let Mark come back with them that they end up deciding to part ways. So this wasn't, uh, oh, I just decided to come for a first bit of the journey. It's I'm bailing, and it's really painful. It's hard for the team to see one go, okay? From Perga... They went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, People of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, Listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I found David, 
son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to, to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not that one. No, but he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he's fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it's written in the second psalm, you're my son. Today I've become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it's stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep, meaning he died. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything that you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish for I'm going to do something in your days that you'd never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it, and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you 
a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. God's word. You probably noticed that in that last section, there was a phrase that was repeated four times, and that was the word of the Lord, the word of God, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And uh, oftentimes when we say the word of the Lord, we mean this, the whole Bible, right? We call that the word of God. But when they're speaking it in this context, it's kind of a shorthand way of talking about the gospel. It's the, the message about Jesus Christ. So when they talk about honoring the word of the Lord or accepting the word of the Lord or rejecting it, it's honoring or accepting the message that was being brought. So I heard a a statistic, I call it a rough statistic this past week, that I I don't know how to verify, but I I thought, I think this is probably true and it resonates, so I want to share it. And that statistic was shared by someone who said that if new believers don't learn how to share their faith with others within the first year of being a Christian, that they'll struggle with it their whole life long. Or they're likely to struggle. That It won't be an easy thing. It'll be a difficult thing. And I thought, I, I can resonate with that. I, I, sh- I, I grew up in the church, and I, I, uh, I, yeah, I didn't know the Lord when I was really young, but even after I came to know the Lord, I, I just, it was really hard for me to share my faith because I didn't know how. Didn't know where to start, didn't have experience. And in fact, the thing that brought me, we're all different, but the thing that brought me the greatest amount of pressure was thinking about how do I, what do I say? Like, what's the, how do I, how do I get all this into just enough for a person to hear? Where do I start and where do I finish and what should be included and what shouldn't? And I mean, I really thought I needed to represent the whole thing. So what's the whole thing? What's the story? What's the message, right? And so you can imagine my, I don't know if I'd call it relief, but my, um, joy at finding out I wasn't the only person who had this struggle when Ann and I were dating and uh, she shared with me this story. We were taught, we were talking about sharing our faith with other people. And, and she said uh, that when she was a high school student, she was in a, a, what do you call it? Like a tra- travel, traveling with an orchestra. That's all I need to know. She was traveling with an orchestra and, uh, and one of the other girls in the orchestra was asking her questions about her faith. And, um, so Anne told me one evening, this girl starts to ask her and she said, I spent two hours and I started at Genesis and at the end of two hours, <laughs> I got to the end of the old Testament. <laughs> I didn't get to Jesus. We went to bed without Jesus. <laughs> now, now there's some redemption in that story. I should, I should caveat it real quickly by saying the next morning, the girl came back to her and said, um, I read the Gospel of John last night. Jesus is real. And um, he spoke to me and I accepted him. 
So the Lord works in our weakness, okay? But but here's the struggle. The, the point is, what do I share, right? Uh, how do I share my faith? And I think as we watch Paul this morning, uh, long long passage, I think the Lord has a, a really simple threefold encouragement for us about how how to share our faith, how we share our faith, uh, three things that would strengthen and encourage us. Because I believe that we all want to. We all, we know we're called to. We're called to be witnesses. And uh, we're looking at someone who's preaching here, and there's this temptation uh, on some to say, well, I'm not a preacher, so therefore I don't have to, you know, necessarily think about sharing in that way. But actually, we're all called to preach. Preaching, the, the, the word in the Greek New Testament just means proclaim, tell, testify, share, speak, don't be silent. What did Jesus say? If you're silent, the rocks will cry out, right? So believers, those who are in Jesus, are called to represent him. We're called to witness, and we know it, and we want to, and it isn't easy. And so the Lord's going to encourage us this morning with three things. And here's the first one. Um, Paul has got a laser focus on Jesus Christ. A laser focus. I don't know if you caught this, but in my Bible, he went through 450 years of Old Testament history in one paragraph. He went through the whole Old Testament that took two hours. He did that in three paragraphs. Two minutes of preaching, and he summarized 1,300 years of, of context or of history for these people, and boom, he's landed on Jesus Christ, which tells you two things. The first is, he knows who he's talking to. He knows his audience. He knows what they need to hear to make them comfortable to hear the message about Jesus. He's not talking to people in Athens who who um, worship an unknown God. We're going to watch him speak to them in a couple of weeks, and he's going to bring a totally different message. But here he knows, I'm talking to Jews, and Jews have a certain need, and they need to know that I know the Old Testament, and I'm with them, that I understand it. And they need to know that what what context the message of Jesus comes out of. And so he summarizes it really briefly, doesn't get lost in any of the details, and then he lands on Jesus. And it's a very simple message. So simple, actually, that sometimes I think we get we overdo it. Paul says, Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected for the forgiveness of our sins. So simple. His gospel is so simple that when he writes to Timothy in uh, Tim, to, to Timothy two seven and eight, and he says to him, Timothy's his protege. He says, Timothy, remember my gospel, the gospel for which I'm in chains. This is what it is. This is his whole gospel. Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. And that David piece is really important because again, context. God had been working with a group of people. God had promised that group of people that one would come who would be a prophet, would be a priest, he'd be a king, and through him the whole world would be blessed. He would bring peace, he would heal, he would forgive, he would comfort. And so there's a context, and they're waiting for the answer to this this promise. And so here's Paul saying, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. But I want you to notice something. After he's landed on that, he says something very particular to them. He says, 
I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. In other words, again, he knows who he's speaking to and he speaks to them at the place of their greatest need. So he knows he's speaking to a group of people that desperately want to obey the law of God and yet know if they're honest at all, they can't do it. They know they cannot keep God's law. They have it and they fail. They have it and they break it. And so he's not at this point speaking like he speaks to the Ephesians where he says, I I pray that you could be deeply rooted in the love of God. So he's not saying to them at this point, God is a father who's compassionate and who's merciful and he's the father of all compassion like he does to one of the other churches. Right here, he's hitting these people at their place of felt need. We're all law breakers. We, we, we stand before a holy God. We have to give answer before that holy God. And there's nothing that we can say that will justify ourselves. And Paul says to them, I want you to know that through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, you are justified. All who believe in him are made right. The slate is wiped clean. Okay, this this is two things coming together. He knows who he's speaking to. And he's laser focused on Jesus Christ. Now, why is it important? Why do I keep saying laser focused? Because there's a lot of things that we can say when representing our faith that don't actually point to Jesus Christ. Oh, God loves you. God loves you, brother. You know, well, he does. God's with you. He knows your pain, you know. Yeah, he does, and he might be with. But have you heard anything about Jesus yet? No. If we don't lead people to Jesus Christ, to faith in Jesus Christ, which produces repentance, a turning away from a a sinful, self-led life, and a coming back into relationship with God the Father who loves us, He wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. We haven't benefited them at all. So we, we, we listen to people. When we're with people, whether it's one or whether it's a group, we listen for a place of felt need. And maybe it is for the, for the Jews, it's, I can't, I cannot justify myself. Maybe for the person we're meeting with, it's, nobody loves or accepts me. Well, there is a God who loves and accepts you. And let me tell you how he brings that love and acceptance. It's Jesus. Well, I've been abandoned over and over and over. Well, let me tell you about one who will never abandon you. Well, I'm broken. Let me tell you about one who will bring healing to you. And the way that he's made healing, his name is Jesus. Yeah. Well, I'm full of bitterness and anger and hatred and Let me tell you about the way to come unbound from all of that. Let me tell you about the one who who brings freedom. His name is Jesus. See, when we listen to people, 
we're able to get a sense of where they're coming from and what they're speaking in and what their felt need is. And then it's Jesus Christ. It's always Jesus Christ. But we've got to listen. We've got to know who we're speaking to. So here's our first encouragement. It's as simple as just who who does God put in front of me and Jesus Christ. Okay. Here's the second. Here's the second thing that we see in Paul. In Paul's sharing and what transpires afterwards, there's an incredible surety or confidence in the spoken word of God or the message of Jesus doing the work, accomplishing its purposes. So much so, how do I, how do we know he's confident? So much so that he finishes his message with something that you don't often hear uh, gospel presentations finished with. Take care that what the prophets have said doesn't happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you'd never believe, even if someone told you. See, Paul has an awareness that the message isn't just good news. It's good news to be obeyed. See, the gospel is Jesus is Lord. He is Savior and he's Lord. And so this proclamation into the heart of the Roman Empire is there is one God. He is Jesus. Revealed in Jesus, he's to be followed and obeyed. And so that's why in one of Paul's other letters, when he writes to the church, he actually says that um, that uh, a curse rests on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord. You see that the, the combination of the words obey and gospel? Gospel is good news, but it requires an obedient response. And so Paul's aware that like Jesus not Jesus, but Luke, we, we saw at the beginning of Luke when, when, uh, Jesus was prophesied over that it was said of him, he will be a sword that divides, right? So this message always calls for a response and Paul's aware that, that bringing the response isn't onto him. You don't see him trying to convince. You don't see him trying to persuade. All you do is see him announce He's got this understanding that my role is to announce. It's just to speak the good word. It's to speak the good news and that God will bring the response in those who he's going to bring it from. But he's got such confidence in the word of God, the spoken word of God being different from human words, that it will bring a response. Where does he get this from? Well, in uh, look at a couple of other things that Paul writes. In 1 Thessalonians, he writes to the church and he says, The gospel came to you with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Well, now listen to this. Listen to what he writes to the Corinthians. My message wasn't with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I came to you with weakness and fear and trembling. Isn't that interesting? Juxtapose those two right beside each other. Paul says, I didn't come with wise words. Actually, I was afraid. I was trembling. And then he says to the Thessalonians, but it came to you with power, with the Holy Spirit, with great conviction. You can see that Paul's not in any way resting on his eloquence, his pitch, his ability to say it just right. All he's doing is trusting that when I announce the message of Jesus, the word of God, that 
the Holy Spirit accompanies that word and he brings conviction. He accompanies it with power. So when Peter writes to the church in all over Asia, he writes these words. Uh, Therefore, since you've been purified by your obedience to the truth so that you love one another deeply from you love one another uh, with sincere hearts, love one another deeply from the heart for you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah and says, For all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So Peter's saying, You were born again. You got a new life because something took root in you. And that something was a seed, and that seed is imperishable. It cannot and will not die. The thing that took root in you was a gospel announcement. It was a message of Jesus. And that message, that word from the Lord spoken by a human being is living and enduring. And everything you see around you, it's going to fall away and it's going to die. All man's glory will fall away and die. But the words of God are forever. And so Isaiah also says, My word shall not return to me void but will accomplish all that I send it out to do. Now that that kind of a, a theology of the word of God and the power of the spoken word, um, it does two things. Uh, it emboldens us. It's one of them. But it also calls us to participation. Because here's where the part of us being created in the image of God is so important. Image bearers. Look back at creation. God speaks and creation comes into being. He speaks and a new reality comes. Now in the new creation, through Jesus Christ, we speak the words of God and new creation happens in people's hearts. So it calls us into active participation and it doesn't have to be fancy. It's just the words of God. Right? So you notice that when Paul's speaking, he's turning back to scripture. He's opening up the Psalms. He's opening up Isaiah. And he's just speaking the word of God and he's trusting. And this is the third encouragement that not only does the word have power, but that the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work of bringing a response in people. Okay? And I want to just pause for a quick sec before we go into the Holy Spirit. Um, I said earlier at the very beginning of the sermon that some of us don't know where to start in sharing the message and have called us to be laser focused on Jesus. But right here you can see that Paul is able to do that. He's able to have a laser focus on Jesus and pull out of the Old Testament because he knows it really well. And so there's this call on all of us to know the word of God. To know it well to have it live in our hearts and i want i want us just to stop and notice that paul's message to these people it comes out of his life it's embodied in his life this isn't just an idea for him this is the guy who 
says, I was advancing in all of my ways in Judaism beyond all my brothers and sisters. I, like if anybody, what does he say to the Philippians? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, born on the eighth day. Uh, I'm, I'm more zealous than all my brothers and sisters. And yet in his own life, he recognized that he couldn't justify himself. And then he has Jesus appear to him. Jesus radically encounters him with grace. So I want us to hear that the, 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 um, the message that Paul brings comes out of his life and that he spent, you know, we said 14 years from the time that Jesus encountered him and he got called slain on the road to Damascus and, and he actually, and, and Jesus gave him a commission there. You're going to take my name to the Gentiles, but it's not till 14 years later that that's really starting to play out now. First missionary journey. What happened in those 14 years in between? Those 14 years or 14 years of Paul's whole life getting reoriented to Jesus Christ. He had to learn to rethink and understand all of life through the lens of Jesus. And all the scriptures had to be reinterpreted through Jesus. He had to see Jesus and God's work in Jesus in the Old Testament. All of it. And so that just like begs the question for every one of us. How much has our life been radically reoriented around Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God? Because our message, whatever we're going to share to people, is going to come out of our own experience, our own walk with the Lord. And so maybe for some of us, even though the encouragement this morning is about sharing, sharing the message, maybe for some of us, there's a call to just have a season. A season, like Paul had a season of coming apart with the Lord that's producing fruit now. Just have a season of sinking your roots deep and having your whole heart and your whole life reoriented around Jesus Christ. And so I'm thinking about you mission school folks, right? You've got this special season, probably unlike no other season in your life, where you're, you've now got nine months ahead of you. Just immerse yourself. And um, just pray and, and, and bless the Lord's work in, in you guys during this season, that it would be an incredibly fruitful season of um, continuing to have your lives oriented and reoriented around Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Paul's, Paul's certain that the Holy Spirit is going to produce the results. And you can see that in the end of this passage where... Um, he warns them and then he urges them to continue in the grace of God. And then, uh, as has happened all the way along, there's this strong kingdom of darkness response. As soon as the gospel is starting to take root, boom, right there, always counter, counter to the gospel, counter to the message. The Jews are jealous and they're inciting and they're um, raising, they're raising a ruckus. And uh, what does Paul say? He doesn't try and convince them. He doesn't argue with them. He just very clearly says, well, we had to bring the message to you first, but since you reject it and you don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, uh, we now turn to the Gentiles. You know, how can he say that you don't consider yourself worthy of eternal life? Well, he can see that the Holy Spirit's not working in him. He's discerning. You share the message of Jesus with somebody and there's a complete rejection of it. Although the Holy Spirit's not working there, but you share the message of Jesus with somebody else and there's response, there's tears, there's hunger, there's a desire to know more, there's interest. Well, that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. 
So Paul's looking for the work of the Holy Spirit and he's following that. Yeah. And so it says when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. And you see this just incredible fruitfulness that came from uh, one step of obedience. You know, I think, again, we always think of Paul as maybe, maybe real bold, but remember, weakness, fear, trembling, and yet he gets up in front of this group, speaks the message of Jesus, and then all throughout the region, people are turning to the Lord because of that message. So um, let me end this way. I told you I, I, I grew up struggling and part of the Lord's to share the message and part of the Lord's um, way of, of helping me out of that struggle was sending me to China where I did a, a year long internship uh, when I was, when I was in seminaries about 14, 15 years ago. And uh, I'm there about three, four weeks and my team leader says to me, Hey, I want to introduce you to, uh, to, oh, I forget his English name. Ching Liang is his Chinese name. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I have been talking to him last year and I, I just, I think he's ready, uh, to hear the gospel, but I haven't shared it with him. So, um, I'd like you to do that. And of course, right. <laughs> so he comes over to my, I, part, I invite him over to my apartment. He comes over and, uh, and I just take him to the gospel of John and I, we didn't read the whole thing. I just, you know, as best I could just shared the message. I felt like I was really fumbling. And then I just, I did what you do. I said, you know, Ting Long, Jesus loves you and he gave his life for you. Would you like to accept him? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that was way too easy. <laughs> he, <laughs> I didn't really say that to him, but you know, <laughs> so he gave his life to Christ just like that. And he was so hungry. He came over to my apartment every week for the rest of the year. The Holy Spirit was working so powerfully in his heart. He was teaching me from scripture at times. He got revelation from the Lord as a brand new Christian. He would come back, he would open up the word, and he'd be able to tell it to me. He brought his classmates. By the end of the year, we had five classmates having a Bible study together. And I ended that year where they ended this text, full of joy and full of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the encouragement. No matter how fumbly we feel, keep our eyes laser-focused on Jesus Christ, share simply the word of God, and trust the Holy Spirit to do his work, And we will experience the joy and fullness in the Holy Spirit that comes from sharing our faith. Because I always like to tell people, when you share, you're kind of like a hose. The hose has the water going through it. And if it goes through you, you experience what's going through you. And I I get a a hose is kind of a crude image. But when it's the Holy Spirit and the gospel that's going through you, (laughs) that's really joyful. It's so joyful to tell people the good news of Jesus. So let me just close with prayer. Uh, praying for us as we continue to share the message. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we are your ambassadors and your witnesses. Thank you that you want us to succeed in sharing the message of Jesus. Thank you that you don't want it to be intimidating for us. You empower us by your Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, thank you that we can look at your word and we can trust that your word and your spirit will do the work. And yet we also recognize that you've called us into this role where we speak. And you said through Paul, how can they call on the name of the one of the Lord if they have not heard? 
And so, Jesus, we pray that your name would be on our lips. Lord, with our neighbors. Lord, with the people that we check out with at the register at the grocery store. Lord, with uh, our classmates, our co-workers. Jesus, wherever you put us, put your name on our lips and help us just laser focus, lead people to you in the power of your spirit. Amen.